Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm a feminist, but today when my driver collected me from Dublin Airport to take me to my hotel before I did this show, the driver asked if I needed help with my luggage. And I said, oh no, it's fine, even though... I'd have totally let a man help because the driver was a woman. (laughs) And halfway to the car, I was juggling my suitcase and my hand luggage slightly resentfully. And I thought, if my driver were a man, this wouldn't have happened. (laughs) But then we went into an underground car park that was super creepy and isolated. And I thought, now this is the part where if the driver were a man, I'd be scared he'd kill me. So I was pleased after all. That is true, though. I just couldn't let a woman take my suitcase. And I always let a man do it. (laughs) I'll I'll do the fluffy one first. I'm a feminist, but when I made enemies with a woman, uh, the way way I got revenge was I found out what her favourite karaoke song was to sing and then learnt that karaoke song off by heart. And then when I saw her on a night out, I went up and sang it before she had the chance to sing. 
Did you really do that? I really did that. What yeah. was the song? Proud Mary. Left a good job in the city. Yeah, bitch, follow that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not even my favourite song to sing, Deborah. <laughs> it is now. It means nothing to me. <laughs> Whereas it was the song her mother sang her on her deathbed, so... Yeah. What, Proud Mary? <laughs> yep. Help me go into the life. Left her good job in the city. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling. Oh, it's very sad. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I had a different taxi driver take me from the hotel to the theatre tonight. A man, thank God. And he asked me, who's on at Vicar Street tonight then? And I said, I am. And he said, are you a big star then? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I'm going to Google your name. But the name on my taxi app was Deborah Selinsky because Tom had set up the app and weirdly had decided to use my married name in inverted commas I never use that I mean occasionally it's on bills Mr. and Mrs. Selinsky we're going to have to talk about it I haven't raised it <laughs> maybe it was just his credit card with Selinsky I don't know and so I saw it and I said that's not my name and he put Deborah into Google he'd already got as far as Deborah and my name and photo came up and I said yeah that's me Deborah Francis White and he said you're the top Deborah in the whole world on Google <laughs> be right it can't be right and I said well on your phone I seem to be I think it is regional Google isn't it you know I said I don't think I'm the top Deborah in the whole world for all of Google and thank you thank you for your confidence and I said well yeah that's on your phone I am anyway and he said that's amazing can I have a selfie with you and I said no I've not straightened my hair or done my makeup <laughs> I don't want that out there on the internet there's no need no need I'm a feminist, but I'm a bit sad that the 8th has been repealed, right? Uh, yeah, I know. Bec it's a guilty feminist, okay? Um, I'm a feminist, but I'm a bit sad that the 8th has been repealed because it's nice to be able to pinpoint what the source of your low hum of anger is. <laughs> uh, you know? <laughs> Now, now I have it, and I'm like, oh, what, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when I arrived at the theatre tonight and was chatting with everyone in the green room, Alison Spittle said to me, do you need some time alone with your makeup? And I thought, wow, do I need time alone with my makeup? Wow, I'm really glad I didn't let that taxi driver have a selfie. <laughs> I knew you'd use that. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I meant to end like... Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. You meant it in a kind way. Like, Always. Yeah, like if you need time alone with your makeup, which you do, <laughs> you should take it. You should take it. I did need time alone. She wasn't wrong. I needed time alone with my makeup. No, she was right. <laughs> Okay. Just me and my liquid eyeliner going to town. <laughs> I'm a feminist, 
But I realized that I've never done a period joke before, right? I know. And a part of me says to myself, oh, I, I haven't done a period joke because I haven't had a period since I've started doing comedy. I've been on um, the hormonal contraception and I just haven't had a period since then. I was telling myself, yeah, that's why you haven't done a period joke. It's not because you cringe every time you think about Derek Ryan going through my school bag when I was 14 and he pulled out an always maxi pad and asked me whether it was a mattress or not. You know very well, Derek, that's not a mattress. (laughs) Why would I bring a mattress to school? (laughs) Also, (laughs) Also, I haven't done a period joke because the first compliment I got as a comedian was a man telling me, oh, fair play to you. Oh, you're great for a woman comedian. You haven't done one joke about your period at all. <laughs> and uh, to be honest with you, inbuilt misogyny, ding, 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 ding. I was like, yeah, I haven't. Go me. But I have done a period joke, and I'll tell you about the period joke I did. It's actually at a funeral of a loved one. <laughs> did your Aunt Flo die? <laughs> That's good. Aunt Flo's never coming to town again. Am I right, ladies? (laughs) I can't wait for that. Um, So I brought these in my pocket because we had them backstage. These are Jacob Mikado's, right? In Australia, we call those iced vovos. Iced vovos, If you're listening in Australia, what she has is some iced vovos on the table. Now, in Britain and other places, they don't have... So would you be able to describe... What um, this biscuit looks it's, like. It's a, it's a, it's a plain biscuit. Mm-hmm. And on the top are puff pillows. Um, I think they're more mountainous than the Vovo. Pink, puffy, sort of marshmallow type material. And then mm-hmm. there's a jam running down the middle. Mm-hmm. And then there's a white coconut sprinkled liberally across the whole deal. No. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> This would definitely get the Paul Hollywood handshake of approval. Basically, Deborah, they look like little vaginas, don't they? Little menstruating vaginas. I feel like Aunt Flo's not going to come to town again is a more tasteful joke for a funeral. (laughs) Then these biscuits look like little menstruating vaginas. I said it uh, in a more coarse fashion. More coarse? (laughs) Yeah. No. I did. At a, whose funeral was it? A very, very close loved one. Was it the funeral of the woman whose karaoke song you stole? <laughs> no, I wouldn't go to her funeral. Wow. I bet you would go to her funeral <laughs> and sing Proud Mary on her coffin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, instead of feeling a real emotion, which I should have at the funeral. Should have. I should've. just... Would have. I just menstruation shamed the biscuit <laughs> for a laugh to avoid yeah. any emotions. Any emotions, yeah. No, I see that. I see that. You see? I'm okay. going to eat this biscuit now. <laughs> Live from Vicar Street in Sutherland, the sponsor of the Edge Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White. 
Yes, co-host Alison Spittle, a very special guest, Tara Flynn and Lynn Roy, talking about finding your power. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis... I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Alison Spittle, and we're talking about finding your power. Okay. Alison. Yes. How are you? I am secretly very proud of my country, Deborah. <laughs> that, that was quite the welcome, I feel. I mean, it really was. Yeah. I mean, it really was. Dublin is genuinely one of my favourite cities in the world. And where I came on my honeymoon. Oh! I know. So what did you go see on your honeymoon? Crumlin Shopping Centre is amazing. (laughs) No. No, we walked around. There was romantic, you know, it's sort of like we did lots of walking tours and things. There's a pub crawl. There's a literary one and then there's an Irish singing one. Mm -hmm. We did lots of those kind of things. Constant walking tours. There's always an Irish person who's happy to take your money and explain things (laughs) on every corner. That's true. Yeah. And today we saw when we came in, it was sort of people, it said, had had big signs that said stag nights and hen nights and things. And there were all these people and they were sort of, it was like a bed, I suppose, on wheels. And they were all riding it. But they were put, it was like they paid to cycle it. Oh, good. Cycle. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) It was amazing because I just thought, wow, whoever's come up with that business model, they've basically gone, I want to do a rickshaw, but I can't be asked. Yeah. (laughs) So I'll charge them to do the pedaling. Or they've basically went, how do I torture stag nights from Bradford? Uh, I'll get them to cycle while listening to the Macarena. Is that what it is? Yeah, isn't it, lads? That's the, the big cycle thing. We were imagining the Dragon's Den conversation when it was being pitched and Peter Jones just saying, and what stops me just copying this? <laughs> and, and Your conscience, Peter! <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more common sense. Uh, but a decorum. Oh, by the way, you don't want to talk to us about our Dragon's Den people. <laughs> Imagine there's a country <laughs> where t- three of... You know the way on Dragon's Den there's always like one loud knob on and he gets replaced and you're like, oh, by another loud knob, right? Yeah. Basically... Do you mean the dragons? The dragons, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three of our most <laughs> prickiest dragons have decided, you know what? It's below me to sit on television with wads of cash beside me asking people to beg me for their money. What I now want to do is become president of Ireland. No! (laughs) Yeah! No! But that means when people apply for funding for things, he's going to sit there and go, well, why should I give you £30,000 for this refuge. And then they're going to have to go, oh, because, no, it's really good. No, but I'm here for a business opportunity. Yeah, it's like, like, over the weekend, right? One of them, I can't even remember, prick one, prick two, prick three, right? (laughs) We'll call them prick three, right? 
he filmed himself, right? <laughs> he hit a golf ball with a golf club That's into normal. the sea. Oh, no, okay. Oh. I was just like, fall for me as president, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not taking care of the environment. That, That's it. That could have hit a sea turtle. Well, you see, some people did bring up that issue to mm. him. And then he tweeted the next day with a dirty golf ball. And he's like, I went in and took this golf oh. ball. <laughs> like he went into the ocean. Yeah. Come on. Well, you see, you kind of do want a president that can fight the ocean. Do you know what I mean? King Canute. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Does he open his own car doors, though? Ah, uh, oh yeah. Did you guys get this story? Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's, <laughs> it doesn't deserve to have left the UK. And when I said it, I was like, they're not going to know this new story because it's so stupid. Meghan Markle. Oh, no, we do. Meghan we do, Markle like... closed her own car door. And everyone went, oh my God, she's closed her own car door to find Royal Protocol. It's not Royal Protocol. It was just a slow news day and they just made it up. Wow. Yeah, absolutely not. There's loads of footage of other royals closing car doors. The Queen went outside to a Range Rover in Balmoral and just was slamming it. Like Vinnie Jones and Lockstock, you know? <laughs> just like... Basically. <laughs> David, I could be watching that. Yeah, she, got, she had a paparazzi's head. Yeah. <laughs> she was just like... In the car door. I told you to make it look like an accident. <laughs> Everybody's suspicious now. You know? She's now the queen of hearts. That's not the plan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's not going to make it into the podcast, is no. it? <laughs> People in London are still not over it. Um, still weeping in the streets. <laughs> This is some strong work, Dublin. There's a man in the front row wearing a nasty woman T-shirt. <laughs> That's some strong work. That's some strong work. And are you with this lady here who's wearing a very large repeal necklace? <laughs> How did that go in the end? <laughs> Mostly your way, yes. Although I hear there's legislation to be done. We'll maybe talking about that later this evening. Uh, just give us a cheer if you are from Dublin. Yeah! Give us a cheer if you're from not Dublin and have come to Dublin especially for the show. Yeah! Now give us a cheer if you're from Limerick. Yeah! I knew there was a big Limerick contingent from Twitter. There were so many people saying... There were people on Twitter going, I've come all the way from Limerick for this. And I felt the pressure. So I thought, oh, that's... And I'd looked on the map and I thought, that's a way. That's a way. That's longer than you'd normally come for a show. It's longer. So, you know, you're sweating about the quality at that point. I feel like at this rate, I have to repeal the eighth again to make it worth your while. So thank you for coming. If you've come from not Limerick, where have you come from? Shout out. Where from? Kilkenny. You know you have comedy there, quite famously. You don't need to schlep for comedy. There's several men right in the front row. I don't mean to say they've centred themselves, but... <laughs> they very much have. I think we need to be clear about that. The two, two men have already included themselves. They're very good at self-inclusion, men. It's because they're used to being included. It's not their fault. It's, good. it's a good thing. It's a good thing to emulate. We're not criticising you, nasty woman, and... 
Kilkenny. <laughs> We're thrilled. We're thrilled. Where else was anyone from? <laughs> Could someone translate, please? Someone local translate? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. New I've heard New York and Philadelphia. Kilkenny, you're out of the race. <laughs> Limerick, just a hop, skip, and a jump. Have you really come from Philadelphia? Philadelphia, right here. I mean, sometimes Americans are as good as men at centering themselves, aren't they? At confidence. An American woman can give an Irish man a run for his money. I get it. I'm Australian. Women who are from countries far away where there's some kind of illusion of democracy. Uh, <laughs> We do have more confidence. Is that so? Philadelphia, right here. Did you? You didn't really come from Philadelphia for the show, though, did you? Yes, I did. <laughs> wow. Yes, that was... Okay. I feel I owe you more. Like I should have a drink with you afterwards. My co-host tonight should give you a massage or something. I don't know. I'm. You would welcome that. Okay, could I set you up on a date with Kilkenny? I don't know. <laughs> he seems nice, he's a feminist, he's in the front row. Are you single, sir? <laughs> Kilkenny is single. <laughs> oh my God. All right, maybe you shouldn't have said that. He's a feminist man in the front row. Keen. He punctual, he's got here early, he's got himself a seat up the front. Is it numbered seating? Well, in that case, he was early on the mark with the booking. Either way, either way, competent. And that's not nothing in a man, is it? That's not nothing. I mean, competency is a very high bar for most men. And I think that is evidenced by the fact that men have been in charge of everything all over the world for the last 10,000 years. And look at the place. Look at the economy, look at the environment, look at international relations, look at all the many and varied crises, look at the fact that scientists think we maybe have another 80 years on this planet before it's just going to go, no, get off. <laughs> and then think that men, and in fact, I'm going to go further, that straight men, and I'm going to go further than that, that white men, <laughs> and not just in places where white men naturally occur, because of colonization, all over the world, white men have been in charge for a very long, long time. And the world is on its knees. So I'm going to say to you, when are white straight men going to have a collective crisis of confidence? <laughs> and look around and say, would someone else like a go? Because I feel if women had been in charge this long, we would be saying... I genuinely feel if women had been in charge this long, we would be going, I mean, we've had a run, I don't know, we've done some things, look at those, other things, not so much. Anyone, anyone at all, anyone else want the job? But white guys are still got, yes, definitely, we're still the people for the job. Look at America. They had not a white man doing it for eight years, and now they've pushed back in such an extreme way that it's all white men all the time. And they're rounding up the worst ones to make them Supreme Court judges. 
They're finding the worst ones on purpose. <laughs> the level of competence is not high, clearly. Look who's running the United States of America. It's not just a terrible, terrible human being, but very, very incompetent. So what I'm saying is, Kilkenny here... <laughs> Booked his tickets ahead of time. He's got his shirt and jeans on the right way round. He's grown a beard on his own time. What else have you got going on? I should stop calling you Kilkenny because that's why it's a fun nickname for us. Maybe not so much for you. What's your real name? Michael. Good. Good. Good Irish name, solid name. I feel we can depend on a Michael. I like it. I approve of that name. Michael, what do you do? You're an analyst. I feel some people are easily impressed over here. You don't know what he analyzes yet. Pull back, pull back. What do you analyze, Michael? Reported Facebook content. Reported Facebook content. Oh. Come on now. Let us not throw him to the Cambridge Analytical Wolves just yet. Come on now, come on now. So you work for Facebook, but is it to overthrow them from the inside? <laughs> to take them down? He's making this gesture. <laughs> then he's doing a sort of wavy fingers, and I think what he's saying is, Zuckerberg has cameras everywhere. <laughs> All of our phones are recording this conversation. You know that they are, and they're being pinged straight to Zuckerberg, where he's sitting in his lair on his headphones going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get me all the Michaels and Kilkenny. Bring them up now. I know he has a beard and a shirt and jeans on the right way round. That's all the information that I have. The man is single. And that's a good thing because there'll be no loved ones to care when we do what we're going to do to him. I am so sorry, sir. I did not mean to imply you had no loved ones to care. It's the way... I just felt that's the way Zuckerberg would think. I'm sure you do have many loved ones, and I apologise. Your mum? Oh. And we're back. And we're back. Please remember, he's daily reading your Facebook private information and passing it to Zuckerberg. They're like, doesn't matter. He loves his mum. <laughs> loves his mum, and that's all that matters. All right, so, okay, lovely. So, Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Philadelphia. What's your name? Laura. 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 Are you single? So, Laura, tell me more. You will be soon. Why? Uh, my boyfriend's not putting in the effort. <laughs> All right, it's not Jerry Springer. <laughs> and we have your boyfriend here. <laughs> in what way is he not putting in the effort? She needs a man limerick. <laughs> she needs a man limerick. Listen, I've done my best with a Kilkenny. I don't know where the Limerick men are, but... Okay, he's not putting in the effort. He's not here with you at the moment, I hope. <laughs> Otherwise, this is a ferocious way to dump him. 
was just sitting there next to you going, but I came all the way to Dublin to see the guilty feminist. I don't know what more I can do for you. Um, he's not putting in the effort. And is it more that you've now seen Michael in the shop window and thought... Okay, so Laura, Laura, I will arrange for drinks for you and Michael in the interval at the bar. This is a feminist date. So the interval at the bar, if you're facing the bar, is there an extreme left? I mean, obviously there's a left. There must be. It's the way directions work. Is there an extreme left? Yeah. Okay, so meet at the extreme left of the bar and I will organise for you to have some drinks there. Um, and if you want to see what happens in the interval, gather round. Um, it's a little interval date there for you. And I will look forward to hearing from you. I mean, she sounds keen. As only an American can be. Um, I am with you, Laura. I am with you. Michael's got something else to say. Sorry. There will be no guilty feminist tonight. It's just going to be me and Michael talking about his love life. Michael, what's up? Oh. I'm a feminist, but I have made a heteronormative assumption. We have something very special for you. We have a performance poet. I know. We don't put this on for just everybody, Dublin. Most audiences, as you know, if you listen to the podcast, do not get a fucking performance poet. This is because Dublin is fancy, literary, and Ireland is full of poets. Put your hands together and make enormous, wonderful, guilty feminist woohooing noises for Sarah Cahill! Vicar Street, how are you? <laughs> right, this is a poem. <laughs> it's called Aaron Immel. When I was born, divorce was illegal, with marriage heavily encouraged. Homosexuality a crime, sexuality discouraged. When I was born, abortion was a word a sinner wouldn't say. Women in a bit of trouble, well, they just went away. You see, there were lots of words that you just didn't say. That is, like, without saying them in that uniquely Irish way. Like, have you seen the new fella? Because rumour is, he's... (laughs) 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 When I was born, marital rape was legal too, with Magdalene laundries open operating in full view. I am not an old woman telling of an Aaron Fado. This was 1990, and that is not that long ago. But even then, we were on the verge of a change. We had our first female president, which many thought was strange. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. (laughs) 
After the Auris was High Commissioner for Human Rights, Irish girls had a role model on which we could set our sights. A little Colleen seeing her limit only in the sky, watching Mary on the telly thinking, if she can, why can't I? <laughs> in the history books as well, what tales of courage there are to tell, but where's Hannah Sheehy Skeffington and Anna Catherine Parnell? In all the songs we learn of the bravery that was seen, you'd be forgiven for thinking women didn't exist in 1916. All the progress achieved cannot have been in vain. Those who stood up against the marriage bar or got on the contraception train. Or our sisters of Magdalene still in need of redress. Last laundry shut two decades, haven't seen half the money yet. These women, our women, had their names and birthdays changed, told then by those in charge that they were the ones to blame. The site on Sean McDermott Street was just up for sale. It's just 20 minutes down the road from Kilmainham Jail. But which one were we taught about? Which one have we restored so history knows it's something that we care about? Stop saying it couldn't happen again or it was just for their own karma. When half a fucking handmaid's tale could have been set in Listoon Varna. It's always the lay people who love with compassion and turn the other cheek, whether atheist, semi-religious, or in mass week after week. After all, we're the ones who voted yes to marital equality. As far as the world was concerned, it was quite an oddity. For little old Ireland, always so virginal and chaste, had suddenly, overnight, become a place for the gays. <laughs> Truth is, we've always been here on the outskirts of society, never passing through a phase or seeking notoriety. And so three years ago, our allies really did come through. Now we have the right to be asked, so when's the wedding too? <laughs> the most meaningful act of love we have now for all of us to enjoy. Tears shed from and for queer families for once were ones of joy. Never was it true that we were deviants or sluts or in need of their saving. These were lies told to us by those in power who were they to judge how we're behaving. Just some bullies in saints' clothing blessed with such a loathing for our right to choose because if we speak up, then that is how they lose. The deafening Irish silence goes hand in hand with the sneer. How long do we have to wait to know a woman's worth is worth more than one rugby career? Hashtag. Hashtag, I believe her, was a moment of recognition that the highest courts in the land still don't listen to women. As women, men, non-binary and trans, we gathered in protest to show that we understand. Sometimes, in spite of all the evidence, some people would rather reputation still take precedence. So we got angry and we spoke and we drove home to vote, where we canvassed and we marched and we yelled out loud. We organised an entire political movement in the cloud for the future of this tiny peripheral rural nation, caught between the lies of Brexit and a vile Trump vexation, the women of Ireland let out a loud decree, sending reverberations still being felt across the sea, making those around the globe think, if they can, why can't we? We educated ourselves and united through time zones, having awkward conversations knowing this time we weren't alone. Oh, aren't the young ones always on their bloody phones? Yes. Brenda, we're kind of busy. <laughs> we confess. 
uh, oh, it must be great to have all that time to go to protests. <laughs> Just a bunch of young huns with a single word across their chests. It's not as simple as that, Brenda. And we do not mean to boast, but we can smash the patriarchy and avo on toast. <laughs> we want to make Ireland into a fairer place, not just for girls, but for the bukali who keep everything in in order to save face. So much strong, silent suffering and male suicide, but what do you expect when you tell one gender not to cry? When they have to attain money and sex to know they're worth a jot? Listen to Blind Boy when he says that it's really okay to talk and it's not okay to not. We need ye here with us for this revolution. The systems let ye down too, lads. We both need a solution. So to those who said we were too shrill, unfeeling or straight up cunts, are you starting to think maybe you should listen to us? Maybe you need to ask Namana Grana how we did it. How when they went low, we went high, never arrogant, but never timid. How we remained respectful, never neglectful of the complexity along the way. Five words. A grassroots, intersectional, non-hierarchical, community-led campaign. The Ireland of tomorrow is already here today, and when reeling in the years is on for 18, it will say, the landmark event was not one man's religious visit. It was a bunch of feminists against the eighth, and you know what? We fucking did it. So, so that for the next generation, to the girls born today, when they open their history books, for them it will say, Hope indeed can be wise, all you need to do is try. They'll look at all that's been achieved by Namanana Heron and they'll cry. If these women can do all that, then why the fuck can't I? Well, this has gone down awfully well. If you're listening at home, Sarah Cahill has just had a standing ovation at Vicar Street. Sarah, where can we hear more of you? For me personally, it's Sarah Cahill123 on Twitter. I'm also part of the London Irish Abortion Rights Campaign. So you can, you can find us on Twitter as well, LDN Irish ARC. Wonderful. We will be seeing a lot more of you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Big round of applause for Sarah Cahill. Guys, will you please welcome to the stage Deborah Francis White? I did ask to go first, Alison, for good reason. Left a good job in the city, working for the man every night and day. But I never lost one minute of sleep, and I was worried about the way things might have been. Big well, keep on turning. Primary, keep on burning. Rolling, rolling, rolling on the river. Rolling, rolling, 
cleaned a lot of plates in Memphis. Fuck it. You know, I pumped a lot of team down in New Orleans. I don't know. What is this? These lyrics are sounding increasingly dubious. Hitched a ride on the river. I don't know where we are in this. I feel, yeah. We're going to cut that edit when we finish rolling in the river. Nice. I think people will be pleased. Um, so today we're talking about finding your power. And one way to find your power is to go first. Um, <laughs> I was adopted at 10 days old. And I once had a short stint of therapy. It was only like six weeks because I didn't really like the therapist. Um, but in that time, I explained that as an adopted child, I had always had what I thought of as a Moses complex. And this is because Moses, if any of you know the Bible, was saved. He was put into a basket of reeds and he was sent down the river and he was saved. And then later on in the story, when he's grown up, uh, he has to save his people. He has to stand up to Pharaoh, who's adopted him and say, let my people go. And I explained to the therapist that I, I said, and I'm sure a lot of adopted children have this idea that they've been saved for something special because like why was I saved and put into a good family and you know where I was going to be loved and everything I must have been saved for something special and I said I'm sure this is a phenomenon the Moses complex that you think god I've got to do something good with my life like it's not enough just to do something for myself I've got to do something with my life haven't I I just have to do something with my life otherwise I've, why did they get put in the basket there's, there's no, I've got to now be some, you've got to do something good. Otherwise, why was I allowed in the basket? I should have just been left to die in the river. So this Moses complex, I assume, is very normal. And the therapist said, no, I've never heard of it before. It's just you. And I don't think a therapist should say it's just you. But when I came back the following week, she said, no, I've looked it up extensively. There is no evidence of any other adopted person feeling this way. It is just you. You think you're Moses awkward and then charged me uh, to make me feel insecure but I think there were times when I was looking to find my power at that age where most people are sort of when I was first at university and I'd come out of a cult as many of you know I was a Jehovah's Witness and it's a very patriarchal religion and men make all the decisions for you and so when I came out as soon as I came out I desperately wanted to go to university and miraculously just, I think, on my old school results and some extremely fast talking in the interview. Look, what I did, I'll be honest, I haven't really told anyone this before, but this is how I got into Oxford. In the interview, they asked me questions about literature. I didn't know that much. So I claimed that I was from Australia. What I knew about was Australian literature and bullshitted a whole load of staff. And the tutor didn't know anything about Australian literature. And he said, well, you sound like you really know your staff. <laughs> and I, basically, I just talked fast. And that's how I got into Oxford. But when I was there, I was quite out of my depth because lots of people there were very, very confident. And a lot of them had been to posh schools. And they just seemed to... I remember I was producing a musical there and there was a, like a fresher. like She was like 18 and she'd never had any experiences in her whole life. And there was a professional choreographer that had come in to teach them a dance. And she was arguing with this professional choreographer and saying, don't you want a step change there? And she had had no experience in dance. She just assumed because she was posh she just believed her own ideas. And I couldn't understand. I hadn't found my power yet. Everyone else seemed posher. Everyone else seemed wealthier. Everyone else seemed cleverer. Everyone else seemed to know what they were talking about. And they'd sort of say things like, oh, yeah, I'm going to direct this Shakespeare play, but with an eye to the classics. And I was sort of busy looking up, what are the classics? So, 
And I remember my lowest point where I really thought this was a mistake and I shouldn't have come here because I'm not good enough. And it was when someone from Barclays Bank phoned me in the middle of the day and said, you're £500 over your overdraft. And they said, we need it back by Friday. And I didn't have anything like £500. And in fact, I realised then that I had no money at all. And to get me to the end of the term was going to need another £200 in addition to not paying back this £500. And I remember this woman very clearly. Her name is Deirdre, and I just cried. I just cried on the phone and said, Deirdre, I have no money at all, and I'm going to have to drop out of uni unless you help me. And Deirdre took pity on me, and she said, all right, what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to extend your overdraft by another £200, and then you can pay off that £700 when you get a job in the holidays. And I was like, thank you so much, Deirdre. Thank you so much. And that evening, I went to the pub, and I was just, like, beaten up. I just felt, like, really low. (laughs) And, And... I met a friend, I met a friend, and he was one of the posh confident ones that had been to a posh school. And he said, how are you? And um, I said, not great, to be honest with you. I've talked my way out of a £500 overdraft today by crying on the phone. I actually cried to a lady, and she gave me an extra £200. So fuck it, let's have some gin and tonics. (laughs) And we were sitting at the bar, and I kid you not, a lady sitting next to me turned and said, are you Deborah?" And I said, yes. And she said, I'm Deirdre. <laughs> true story, true story. I don't think I've ever told anyone this. And uh, I was like, oh. I said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I wasn't taking the piss. I just, I genuinely did need the money. I just, I was just feeling so low. You know, it was just one of those ones. And I just had a really bad tutorial this week. And I just thought, I just need a gin and tonic. And she said, no, that's fine. That's fine. Just don't spend it all on gin. So I thought, I'm really low now. I'm really low. What am I going to do? I just felt like really at the end of my power. And then... The next night, there was an event at the Oxford Union. And the Oxford Union is a bit like, I know they have similar things at Trinity College, where like famous people come and do sort of big events. And Ben Affleck was coming. This was the late 90s. He was all the rage. Some of you were like, "Mm, is that the best they could do? We heard the Oxford Union was fancy. It was the late 90s. He was what was hot. And he came to the Oxford Union and he was so smarmy and sort of like trying to impress everybody. He was giving a talk. The president of the union sits there and says, oh, now, Ben Affleck, you say things. And then there's a Q&A. And he was really like just doing that kind of Hollywood smarm and everyone expecting everyone to fall for it. And people did not. And you could see people sort of narrowed eyes. And then the president said, we take some questions. And somebody put a hand up and said, how do you feel about social reform? And he said, well, I'm not a card-carrying communist or anything, but I do think there should be a cap on inherited wealth. You know, I'm very much a socialist, and I really feel like nobody should be able to inherit more than a house and enough money for an education. Thinking, these people are students, they'll love this. But he divided the room so deftly, like Moses dividing the Red Sea between those who thought inherit a house and enough money for an education in America, which is like 150,000 pounds and a house in Hollywood, like, you know, just like, fuck up, like, what are you talking about? And as if you are not going to let your future kids inherit more than that, this is absolute nonsense. And those who, frankly, whose parents had three houses and a lot of money, and they were really looking forward to inheriting the lot. (laughs) So he pleased nobody with this answer. And there was a long murmur. (laughs) And so 
I put my hand up and got picked because I just had a moment, like a little flash. Like I wasn't the confident one at Oxford. I wasn't the clever one. I wasn't the... But in that moment, I just felt my power. You know, sometimes you just feel like you, it flickers up. And I put my hand up and said, so what are you doing now to redistribute your wealth? Because film stars are paid unequally. No one else on the film set is paid anywhere like that. So if you really are socialist, rather than not giving money to your future imaginary children when you're dead in like 60 years... Why not redistribute some of your, frankly, unfair wealth now? And he said, and, and he said, oh, well, I spend all my money on Gwyneth. And he looked down at Gwyneth Paltrow, who was sitting next to the president, dating this story and my university years nicely. And Gwyneth looked up at him. It was hard to be impressed by her because she was so impressed by him. And... He was like, yeah, I just spend it all on her. And the audience were like, hmm. And I thought, no, I have more power in me. And I said, the thing is, you got your start in movies because you got a lucky break. And I've got a screenplay. And you've got millions. So why don't you look at my screenplay with a view to funding it? Because you could just make it. It's an indie. And redistribute some of that wealth and pay it forward to other young filmmakers. And then he just went really pale and he started stammering and he went, oh, well, well, I mean, there are, there are children without shoes. <laughs> and there are children without food. And I went, well, that's funny because that's what my screenplay's about. <laughs> and that is what the members of the Oxford Union did. They cheered and applauded and the president said, well, I think we need to move on now. Perhaps, uh, oh, oh, close things down. And then someone came up to me the minute it was finished and said, you are coming to the drinks. You're going to meet Ben Affleck and you're going to talk to him about your screenplay. I didn't have a fucking screenplay, but I thought, I'll make one up. I'll invent one. I'll invent one. I can write one very quickly. Enter a child with no shoes. I need something to eat. Um, so I was... So I, uh, I was invited to these drinks and I saw him there. And he went, oh, good one. You know, you really got one over me. And they just kept walking. And people kept shoving me towards him. And every time he saw me, he went, you, you, you. And the last time I got in distance of him, I said, you really should. If you really do believe in those values of sharing, you really should be looking to fund the screenplays of young writers. He said, yeah, yeah, And... I'm not kidding, 18 months later, he and Matt Damon announced Project Greenlight, for which I believe I am personally responsible. <laughs> and either way, and either way, I didn't ever at Oxford feel not good enough again. I felt I'd found my power. I'd stood up to this Hollywood A-lister. And you know, it's true about those guys, him and Matt Damon, and their response to the Me Too movement, it just demonstrates to me they're just entitled guys. You know, Matt Damon said, oh, this, you know, Me Too thing. Last year, he said it was a culture of outrage and we should focus on the men who aren't sexually harassing. <laughs> and then last Saturday night, on Saturday Night Live, he played Brett Kavanaugh and got a whole heap of accolades because suddenly now it's fashionable. 
And I realized, like, do you know what I mean? It's so easy to be intimidated by these guys. But ultimately, their time is coming to an end. And collectively, we too are finding our power. Thank you very much. Right, so the thing I'm going to tell you about, right, it's about getting trolled and stuff like that, right? I got a TV show, and I was delighted with it, called Nowhere Fast, and I was very happy. Um, <laughs> now, don't cheer too much, no second series, so... <laughs> Mourn. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I found out I was getting a TV series, I was delighted with myself, right? But then I realised that I wasn't psychologically ready to have a TV series. I'll tell you how I found that out, right? Um, RT shared a clip of Nowhere Fast on their Facebook page, and I was so excited. Because I'll tell you a bit about me. I'm a comedian, so I'm a bit of a narcissist, right? And I remember I went on the Brendan O'Connor Cut and Edge show, right? And the first piece of advice I get given while going on that was, uh, don't look at Twitter after, right? But Twitter is where the compliments are, do you know? <laughs> so, what do you mean, don't look at Twitter? I need my compliment custard. Nom, 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 nom. Oh, I love it. I look at, like, bad tweets, right? As flecks of shit in my compliment custard, right? You just eat around it, you know? Just avoid, just, oh, and um, the thing was, right, when RT shared the clip of my TV series, I was excited, and I was looking through the Facebook comments for, once again, my compliment custard, right, but there was no compliment custard to be found, there was quite a few nuggets now, <laughs> you know, and I know I'm Irish and I wouldn't complain to the waiter, but there was quite a mound, I call him over and go, come here now. <laughs> I ordered custards. <laughs> this is not custard, sir. <laughs> I demand a refund. So the one that I noticed most was from a woman called Veronica, right? Veronica just said, what a filthy tramp, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> eh. Gets worse. It gets worse. I looked at Veronica, right? Something piqued my curiosity. We had 56 mutual friends. Wow. <laughs> on Facebook. So I said, you know what? I just click into these friends now and see who they are, right? Curiosity was piqued. Clicked on the mutual friends. Every one of the mutual Facebook friends were family members. Oh. <laughs> Veronica had done the age-old Irish faux pas, which was complain about something publicly and then realise that she's related to the person she's complaining about. 
We've all done it. <laughs> We've all done it. So, I wasn't feeling well now, to be honest with you, with lack of confidence. And what I did was I rang up my mum. Now, my mum is my number one troll police. She's amazing. She's done it even before Twitter. I remember I went to an ATM machine once and she was just parked outside the ATM machine and there was these young lads on bikes and one of them said, hey, you, you fat bitch, right? Now, before I had time to turn around and see what this... I'd say he was about 14, right? young fella had said to me, my mum had mounted the curb of the car and had driven straight towards the young lads. I... <laughs> I had no time, I just had to hop into the car. Just had to hop into the car. No money or nothing. Just... Uh, also, she's recently got Twitter and uh, she rang me once, she's like, Alison, Alison, I was just looking on Twitter there. And um, there's a fella called Roy Keane 69, right? <laughs> now, I don't think it is the real Roy Keane. Because <laughs> he's after calling you a stupid bitch. Now, I know he doesn't know you personally, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And she goes, well, Alison, I've after tweeting him, right? <laughs> and I've after telling him to go fuck himself. <laughs> Which is amazing. She's amazing. So this is how the Veronica thing ended, right? I rang up mum. I said, mum, Veronica is after complaining about me. She, she, oh, which Veronica now? I said, our second cousin, Veronica, right? Oh, the filthy tramp, she goes. <laughs> I got her, yeah, yeah, she is a filthy tramp, yes. I said, <laughs> she goes to me, well, I tell you now, uh, Veronica's never coming to a family occasion where you get free food ever again. She's blacklisted. <laughs> I said, that's great, ma'am. That's great, but I'd need you to do something a bit more for me this time. Could you defriend Veronica for me? I don't like you being friends with Veronica now. She's after calling me a filthy tramp publicly. My mother went, oh, I'll tell you what now, Alison, I'll do one better. I'll do one better. I'll get every one of our family to defriend Veronica as well. <laughs> So, so I spent the whole night watching me and Veronica's mutual friends descend, 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 descend. And then I was like... Mm. And I was like, yes. Revenge custard. Nom, 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 nom. You've been so great. Have a great night. Alison Spittle, everybody! have made a heteronormative assumption. <laughs> Two questions. One, is there a single gay man who would like to date Michael in the interval? Any single gay men? I've just seen a light go off. I don't know. Is that a way to signal? I don't know. Anybody with a single gay man who would like to organise this date? Yes? Yes, right here? Where? Okay. I've got to do the show. What? Who are you? You're here. I just, I hear a voice going, I'm here! 
Who are you? I'm sorry, you've lost to that man. He's... What's his name? I have found you another Michael. The two Michaels. Three Michaels! This is like the best reality dating show ever! The three gay Michaels. Archangels to a man will meet at the extreme left of the bar. If you are with a Michael, if you are with a gay Michael, make sure he gets to the extreme left of the bar. It's your responsibility, not his. He might be shy. Make sure he finds the other gay Michaels. There will then be a regular meeting on the first Monday of the month called the Gay Michaels that will morph into a boy band. Dublin, do not say I don't do anything for you. And now I need a single straight man for Laura. Are you telling me in a room this size, there's like a thousand people, there's not one single straight man? Oh, they, the, the people with shining the light? Jesus seems unlikely but some theological scholars do think Jesus and Michael are the same people that Jesus the archangel Michael in Revelation is also Jesus but that's probably some niche theological material that I got from my Jehovah's Witness years what's your name Jason oh it's not Jesus I thought you were winding me up it's Jason okay Jason what do you do Bank of America? Laura? Oh my God, it's fate! It's fate, Laura. Laura and Jason will meet on the extreme right of the bar. And we can remember that because it represents their country's politics at the moment. Not theirs, their country's. Okay, so if you're in charge of Laura or Jason, make sure they get to the extreme right of the bar. If you're in charge of any gay Michael in the room, and it turns out there's loads, extreme left of the bar, at the interval, we will hear back after the interval what happened on those dates. Okay. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists. I am briefly interrupting your podcast listening to let you know about the Secret Policeman's podcast live. Some of you will have heard it already because episode one came out last Wednesday. Episode two is coming out this Wednesday and you can find it on the regular Guilty Feminist feed. The show is for Amnesty International and it is in the tradition of the great Secret Policeman's balls of old. It features favorite comedians of yours, including today's Alison Spittle, Nish Kumar, Hot Brown Honey. If you've never seen or heard Hot Brown Honey, you've got to listen. It also features the classic Monty Python sketch, The Four Yorkshire Men, reinvented as The Four Yorkshire Women. You are going to love it. The late, great Victoria Woods, wonderful classic song, Barry and Frida, otherwise known as Let's Do It, has been performed here by Rachel Paris and Grace Petrie, two of your favorites. In this coming episode, the classic Goodness Gracious Me sketch going for an English has been performed by your favorites, Bisha Kayali and Sindhu V, plus Nish Kumar, Himesh Patel, Fancy, and Kulvinda Gear from the original Goodness Gracious Me lineup. There are lots of your favorite comedians, including Jess Foster Q and Felicity Ward, and new ones that you have not heard before on The Guilty Feminist, including Paul Sinhar and Ruby Wax. These episodes also feature key actions and information on reuniting refugee families and freeing Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe and ways that you can help Amnesty International do this. Please listen to the shows. They are absolutely astounding and really, really important for awareness. If you would like to support the Guilty Feminist podcast and my work on it and keep this show on the road, please buy my book, The Guilty Feminist. It's at Waterstones, Amazon.co.uk and all good bookshops. Please leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads. That will really, really help more people find it. In last week's episode, Jessica Regan told you all about a play she was going to be in called The Sweet Science of Bruising. I went to see it at the Southwark Playhouse. It's absolutely brilliant. It is such a feminist work, and it really helped me understand the history of women in the UK and also had some wonderful boxing in it. Boxing's not normally my thing, but watching these amazing women in corsets and petticoats do this incredible stage boxing, it left me crying and cheering. It's on at the Southwark Playhouse until the 27th of October, and I genuinely do recommend it for some amazing feminist catharsis and learning. So the good news is my film... Say My Name, 
got into the Cardiff International Film Festival and is up for Best Welsh Film. Now, this is a big deal because it was written by me and made by a female film producer, and I've been assured that women hardly ever get to write and make movies in this genre. It's like an old-fashioned screwball comedy where the woman is at the heart and the man's trying to keep up with her. It's about a one-night stand gone wrong, and they get involved with some bad guys. Now, the bad news is I just found out that the screening and Q&A in Cardiff is on at exactly the same time I'm meant to be in Liverpool at the Liverpool Irish Podcast Festival. So I want to keep releasing these podcasts every Monday of the year, including Christmas. And as I get busier, that means occasionally I will have to let someone else that you already know and love host the show. And this means, I am so sorry to say, I am not able to come to Liverpool on Saturday the 20th of October. I'm so disappointed and heartbroken. I can't be with you, Liverpool. I am, however, and this is a good part of the bad news, I am sending two of your very favourites. Alison Spittle from today's episode is coming to you, Liverpool. She's coming specially. She's cancelled other things. She wouldn't have been there if this hadn't happened. She is an astounding, astonishing woman, and she is going to be in you, along with Kemar Bob, uh, who has co-host of many episodes, and you know her and love her already. They are going to be a formidable double act, and they're coming to you, Liverpool, to co-host the show. Please, please, please make them feel really welcome. Give them a big, guilty feminist, sisterly support. I'm so sorry I won't be with you personally, and I promise to come back to you, Liverpool, very soon and for next year's podcast festival. The show will be brilliant. They're both really, really super experienced co-hosts, and ironically, I wish I was there to see it. Of course, if anybody was only there to see me and you want your money back, you obviously can go to the box office and ask for it. But please don't. It's just going to be a brilliant show. If you're in or near Cardiff, could you please come to the screening of Say My Name? It's next Saturday lunchtime, which is the 20th of October. If you want to go, you go to www.theciff.co.uk. That stands for Cardiff International Film Festival. You click on CIFF 2018 at the top. Then you click on tickets. Then you click on full access festival pass. It is free. And then you can see my movie and other movies. Check out what other women are doing in the film festival as well. But my film is on, I think, at 11.30 in the morning. It's called Say My Name. It was directed by Jay Stern and starring Nick Blood and Lisa Brenner. The CIFF.co.uk, Cardiff, anyone in Wales, please come and join us. We really want the cinema to be full. It's so much more likely to get national distribution and even international distribution if you come and support it and I would love to see you we're also doing a Q&A at the end so you can ask me a question from the stage or come up and say hi if you have a guilty feminist book I will sign it for you at the end I will actually be on stage and I'm also I have a scene in the movie and Sindhu V is in the film as well so please 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 come and join us And finally, at the end of this episode, there is a mini episode. It's only 20 minutes. Jessica Foster Q and I went to Calais and Dunkirk to work with the Women and Children's Refugee Center. We made a short episode with one of the main volunteers there hidden in a boiler room at a venue where we did a show. Please tune in for that. You will learn so much about what's happening in Calais and Dunkirk at the moment and how you can help. I hope you enjoy the episode. And now back to this one.
What was that? Oh, she has two because she didn't work out how to use Twitter. Just look up, actually, do you know what? Just look up at Alison Spittle and good job, hon. And you'll probably find my mum. I love it because she pretends to be like, she'll be like, I'll be on the TV. Now, I don't know that Alison Spittle one, but she's very good. <laughs> at Jennifer Spittle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we must be the Navin Spittles. It's a different, it's a very common name in Ireland. <laughs> Oh, bless her. I love your mum. I love her too. She should get together with Michael Kilkenny's mum. Oh, yeah? Also a lovely mum. They could just talk about how wonderful you were. Nice. Yeah. Fair play. Um, How would you like this as a stepsister? Compete with this, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't always have to be a proud Mary situation. Sometimes it can just be nice. He doesn't have to compete with you. Your mums are getting together to compare how brilliant their children are. What's your favourite karaoke song? (laughs) Don't tell her, Michael. Don't tell her. Today's first guest is a comedian, actor, writer and repeal activist. Yes. And local legend. Fuck it. Global legend. Who presents the podcast, Taranoia. It's Tara Flynn. Book at you. She is joined by the senator for the University of Dublin constituency and great big hero. Please welcome Lynn Ruan. My name is Tara Flynn, and. Um, <laughs> I'm an actor and writer, predominantly, and... Uh, <laughs> well, I'm about to ruin that whole thing. What I might be known for is comedy or writing, whatever, but what a uh, little secret people might not know, and this ties in with my I'm a feminist, but... So, uh, in the 90s, and in Ireland only, so international listeners don't get excited, but... I've done a lot of voice work in my time. So I did play a quintessentially sexy chocolate rabbit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Who, Can you get your one? nuts in there? What, what was the chocolate rabbit's name? Well, I don't think we should mention brands because <laughs> it's probably... Well, we no, it's ruin. just because Emma Kennedy said that's how she realised she was a lesbian because there was a chocolate rabbit on the television. Well, the chocolate rabbit has been played by different people down through the years and I believe there is a queen of the chocolate rabbits who's like the quintessential one. But I was the Irish-only one. But, uh, so, no, but I didn't Irish it up or anything. So I still like did the, oh. the provisional chocolate bunny rabbit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the continuation rabbit. <laughs> I, for so, for but, the international listeners, that's not your main and current claim to fame, though, is it? You no. were very active in the repeal the eighth campaign. Uh, well, like, kind of. To be honest, I I've mean, been I in Dublin do, a little while and my... nobody said, oh, you have the chocolate bunny on tonight. <laughs> I think that's not what anyone was saying. I think there might be. Well, I just wanted to sort of, to, to sort of tie into the I'm a feminist. So I'm a feminist, but 
I am not above doing stereotypical sexy voices to sell chocolate. <laughs> Lynn, could you just introduce yourself for the listeners? So, my name is Lynn Ruan. I'm a senator and an activist. Wonderful. <laughs> and, go on, do the end of legend bit. <laughs> and do you have an I'm a feminist but? I do, it's a long one. Is that all right? It's absolutely fine. Is that good? Knock okay. yourself out. So, I'm a feminist but... When my eldest daughter was about 10, she asked me to take her to a concert and she said it was a tenacious day. <laughs> so, being the terrible mother that I am, I never listened to any of these albums that I was buying her. And I also bought her the tickets to the concert. So, we queued up outside Tenacious D from 9am, got into the mosh pit, with me just gardening her like this, because she's like this, delicate little 10 year old and she's bouncing around singing things about penises and and I'm just like what the hell have I brought my daughter to but then all of a sudden out of the stage erupted a big 24 phoenix penis and I'm right in front of the stage with my 10 year old and then from the tip of the penis Loads of confetti just sprayed all over the front of the crowd. And I look around and my daughter is like... So then we picked up the confetti and on the confetti were little tiny sperms with Jack Black's head. Was we, this in Ireland? Where you, it was in Ireland. It was in the pint, yeah. You know, you didn't even have choice then. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to carry that Jack Black to terms. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Well, you say not anymore, but Tara, could you just explain, at the back you said, although it's been repealed, the legislation yeah. isn't in place. Yeah, so the Eighth Amendment has been removed from our constitution. You did that, that's amazing! Um, and the Eighth Amendment, basically, it was a constitutional ban on abortion in all cases, basically, almost all cases. So people travelled to the UK every day, ordered abortion pills online. Now, they're still doing that because our laws need to change. So we're currently putting pressure on the governments and you know again this is back to the grassroots thing this is back to what we did for repeal is we all need to put pressure on our tds our members of parliament and we need to ask them to get the best possible legislation so no one is left behind so we're still and the north is next and that's the thing i feel as somebody who while australian please love me <laughs> I do have a British passport. I'm a dual citizen, you know, for the obvious reason that obviously I can travel freely throughout the European Union. So it was really worth it. Um, <laughs> I had to study for that quiz. I, there was a quiz I had to sit. I'll marry it like, you. It was like, it's like, <laughs> will you? Yeah, divorce time. <laughs> Tom, it's been lovely, but it's over. I'm marrying Alison Spittle. Um, you, could have a, so, you could have a double wedding with the Michaels. Oh. Yeah. 
Oh. Which Michael is going to get left out of that triumvirate? Well, now, this is what they always said, that when yeah. it came in the gay marriage, there'd be a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> Three of them together. Three Michaels. Oh. Three Mickeys. Yes. Three Slip Mickeys. <laughs> Mickeys everywhere. <laughs> With Jack Black's head coming out of them. We could all be Jack Black's child, so let's be clear. <laughs> so I feel, as somebody in the UK, we should be leading the charge on Repeal the North because it's a part of the UK and it re there really needs to be a lot more coming... Sorry. Well, it well, is. Oh. It is, though. Like, they can... Pre like, the I didn't is... make that happen. Yeah. Deborah didn't but do it. But I just it. feel like we shouldn't just sit back and go, oh, it's nothing to do with us. Like, like imagine if it's just people in the Republic that are trying to help out people in the North. And the people in the North, what weirds me out about Northern, there's several things that weird me out about Northern Ireland. <laughs> but one of them is that the, the main party there, the DUP, want to be closer to the mainland, right? They want to be a part of the UK, but yet they don't want to have the laws that the UK have in regards to equal marriage or abortion. And it's just like... Pick a feckin' side. Are you British <laughs> or what? Because the British values are like, you know, they are very, like, Black 47 it's, has come out this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's very tricky to talk about any of this, isn't it? Because actually, I think that's what stopped me two years ago. Mm. I remember thinking, this isn't okay. Because I remember people sort of having a go at Americans because Roe versus Wade is looking very dodgy mm. and was then. And I was like, but in conversation, I'd say to people, but there's a part of our country where abortion is illegal. And we don't say anything about that. And I think because of the political situation where you don't want to be imposing anything on that part of the country, I never felt it was my place. But now I do because of you guys. Um, I feel like it wasn't my place and now it very much is my place. Well, so you know we what need it to be doing it together. Well, it wasn't... You know, it wasn't Thank you. We're all responsible. All responsible. Yeah. We're all and the father. Yes, we're, we're all, the all father. Jack That's Black. It. Who's responsible for this girl? We all are. Yeah, That's do you know what? Well, like, how did I get involved? I was a comedian, and it turned out that, you know, I wasn't in a political party. I wasn't even in Together for Yes, which was this sort of umbrella group of all the incredible advocacy groups who got together. The abortion rights campaign going for so long, the coalition to repeal the... I wasn't even in that group. I just shared a story because I had a little bit of a platform and a mouth on me. So, um, <laughs> so I shared the story, but it was like everyone did what they could. Do you, you know that analogy of, you know, getting a house clean, but doing a room at a time. We're doing a corner of the room at a time. That's kind of how repeal happened. And that can happen with the North as well. But Tara, because this episode's about finding your power. Like, where did you find your power? Because you talk a lot and you kind of, not that you, you're very modest and you're always going, I'm not with that and it should leave me to be and everything like that. <laughs> but, like, if you, if you didn't come out with your story and Saoirse Long as well, because it was great to hear from people that have really tragic stories of, you know, pregnancies that they wanted and everything like that. But I felt like the people that weren't being listened to were the hussies. Yeah, as in, hussies, you know. yeah we, the hussies needed a voice, and I figured that. <laughs> That's just much it. Well, what, what happened was, because, of course, for years, people had shared their stories, and it had just kind of got... I shared my story anonymously years before for an article in the Irish Times. People had shared their stories of bereavement and terminations for medical reasons, and people were just going, oh, that's really sad, and moving on. And then what had to happen was that we had to be undeniable. And it wasn't until the hussies revealed ourselves for the hussies we knew ourselves to be that we could say, it happened to me, it could happen to you, it's happened to someone you know, and we need to look after everyone. Yeah. Yes. 
Lynn, yeah. how did you find your power? Where did that come from? The philosopher in me, right, takes that very, like, literally and starts trying to break it down. Like, I don't think there's any one power in someone's life that someone has to necessarily find, because that sounds like it's one thing, like a, an aim or an objective. But I think at different stages through my life, at different intervals, I found the powers that I needed at each stage. And I think more wasn't finding my power. I think in most of the times I had to take my power. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I have one, just like, say, one story where, you know, when I decided to go to Trinity uh, College, where having no education myself, leaving school at 15, I had no leaving cert. So I Trinity had, was like the top university yeah, in Ireland. Yeah. All my socialist friends said, don't fucking go to Trinity, you traitor. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to Trinity. I want to learn what they're saying. Because I knew that... <laughs> Because they were all speaking a different language and not letting me in. And obviously, um, I knew when I was developing addiction services that I had all this passion and heart and innate knowledge, just something that I knew about what was right and what I needed to do to help the communities from which I'm from. But when I tried to verbalise that to a different class of people, it's like I was speaking a different language, do you know? And then I was trying to listen to them and they were using terminology and phrases and stuff that kept me locked out of that conversation. So I was like, no, I'm going to go to Trinity because I want to know what the fuck they're saying. <laughs> and that's where all the doctors and lawyers and politicians, and I need to go and figure this out. So I went there, and I decided after about three years to run for the presidency of the Students' Union, which had ordinarily been kind of, you know, middle-class private school bias. Is it like where Ben Affleck comes to speak? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. But it was actually those private school bias that urged me, like, where it's like, you need to go and do this. You have a, like, something that we don't in terms of life experience and the different areas I've worked in, and we think this could be really powerful. So it was them pushing me in as well. Really? Yes, yes. That's not what happened at Oxford. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> but within that then when I was running the campaign and I had no public speaking experience at all up until I ran for the presidency, well, three years ago. And I stood on the, like, up on the podiums in the lecture halls and I started speaking. And then I was like, oh my God, I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> so all of a sudden I was speaking the language I tried to learn, but it sounded, it didn't sound right coming from me. You know, and I was like, okay, I only came here to understand things. I didn't necessarily come here to abandon myself and who I actually am. <laughs> so the, the next day, there's the big, huge speech, you know, on the dining hall steps in Trinity looking out in front square. And the campaign manager, who's also a working class young from Crumlin, said to me, we haven't spoke about what you're going to do. I said, I'm just going to go fucking tell it on them. <laughs> So Talit is where I'm from. And he goes, what the hell does that mean? I said, watch, just watch. So I got up and I ripped up the manifesto, told him it was all a load of words on a page. Doesn't mean absolutely anything. You know, promises and words, that's all that is on a page to try and sell something to people to vote for you. And I just, I've been a community worker all my life. So I started, I was even trying to pronounce my THs for a while the day before. <laughs> And I don't pronounce my THs, you know? So I was like, you know, Lynn, put your language back in there. You know, you have a certain working class dialect that you have coming in here. You don't need to lose that now. And I got up and I just gave a massive speech and the place erupted. Brilliant. And everything just changed from that moment. So I think that was one moment of um, finding my power. And my power was what I always had. <gasps> the power was within you the it whole was time. It was within me. 
<laughs> the force is strong in this one. The force is strong. That's the force is strong. When I learned how to stop shouting. <laughs> because up until I had the language, I was like, why aren't you fucking listening to me? I fucking said that you need to fund this project. And there it was gone. She's mad. <laughs> and then kind of using that to blank me out. But that was all just passion and heart and love and anger saying, will you listen to us? Will you listen to us? You can't make these decisions that's affecting us. But I just had to go and find a way to articulate that mm. while then not jeopardizing who I am in the process. Yes. So, I mean, the only thing we really need to know is how did the dates go? So, firstly, Michael, I noticed you're still sitting alone without any other Michaels. I'm a bit disappointed. I was frankly hoping to find you all gone. We're just gone home together. Um, he's saying I'm stereotyping. I would definitely say that to a straight threesome. Uh, uh, how did it go? Very well. We're going to need more information. Yeah, boat, great guys. Yeah. Over there. Um, boat named Michael. Uh, which... We know they're both named Michael. Any spark? Um, yeah. <laughs> Other Michaels, do you concur? Yay. One Michael concurs. Other Michael? Yes, okay. Well, if you could maybe live tweet later, if you go to the pub, if you meet up again, and if you could just hashtag three gay Michaels, and we'll follow that hashtag. Um, are, we, are we allowed to... We do have a photo of you. Are we allowed to tweet or Instagram it? Okay. Okay, we have consent from one Michael. Two Michaels. Three Michaels. Brilliant. Um, so that will be hashtag three game Michaels, hashtag Vicar Street. And uh, Lara, Laura, Laura, sorry. Yes. Hello. Laura can light herself. This is, I've just realized how she's doing it. She's putting her torch on herself. It's amazing. So Laura, Laura in the stalls, how did your date with Jason go? It was good. Interesting. Do you think you might see him after the show? Maybe. Okay. Jason, how was it? Lovely. Oh. He made more of an effort than your boyfriend to have a drink with you in the interval, didn't he? Are we allowed to tweet your picture or you have a boyfriend, so maybe no? Okay. I don't think that's the rule. Can we, should we Instagram it? Okay. Okay. Laura's here for a good time, not for a long time. That much is clear. All right. Oh my God, there's a note for me on the stage. Do you know, this is such a great gig because somebody came up to me and they'd made me a suffragette lamp and it's like fabric for the suffragettes around the lamp and the base is a gin bottle. I'm not sure of the connection, but I don't care. Please sign Sonia's book and thank you for inspiring me to continue to search for a job I'm passionate about. Love, Sarah A. Who, that's really nice. Who, who is Sonia? Okay. I'm, we're signing books at the end. 
There's books available in the foyer, and I'll sign them. And our guests have books as well. So there's a great big book love in at the end, great big literary love in. Um, but thank you so much for this note. And also, um, uh, someone gave us donuts. Um, um, and thank you so much for the donuts. You just got married, didn't you? I feel I should have given you donuts. But um, backstage, we'd already had food, and I said, "Does anyone want a donut?" Which is really sweet from someone here tonight. And Everyone went, no. And someone said, there's actually somebody homeless who's around the corner. Maybe we could give her the whole box of donuts. Alison said that. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, do, did you mean the whole box? Or just like, make sure we leave her one or two donuts. And she was like, oh, I was just thinking we could give her the whole box. And I was like, that's lovely of you, Alison, but they were given to me. Now, I'm a feminist, but... When everyone else cleared the dressing room, I said to Alison, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I opened the box and Alison and I ate half the box of donuts with the knives and forks. Because we were just like, oh, let's try a bit of this one, let's try because they're all different. So we have eaten half the donuts, but there's just like, it looks like a war zone. It's wreckage. <laughs> inspiring about you is there's so many people like you like there's so many people that are just as passionate just as intelligent as you and are in these areas and like how do we get more lens into <laughs> politics mm. I think like I mean there's loads of things obviously big massive social change and a big left-wing movement takes over and all of that kind of stuff but <laughs> yeah. like and that's a given but there's loads of things that we can do as individuals which is it's not all financial so there's social capital and there's cultural capital and we all have it in buckets and spades and we have connections and social ties and I would be if I'm working in any sector and I try and match schools up with kids in poorer areas in terms of giving them work experience programs and developing their skills and so it's about trying to build social and cultural capital as well not just the financial end of things but there is loads of people like me and that's why sometimes I hate being heralded right because what happens is you herald me and go oh look at her isn't she great why the fuck aren't you all doing that yeah, you know because I mean? you're not an anomaly. Exactly. You're not an anomaly. Exactly. Well, and, she and is special, though. I'm, no, I, I feel love like we're her. raiding. I love her. It's, 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 it's just like, like, I come from a council estate. Yeah. Like, it's rural, so yeah. it's not like... But there's so <laughs> many... No, I, no, I'm working class, but not like you. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> we're the hierarchy of working class. There in. I mean, it was there leaky. Is. It was leaky. when I was a kid... When I was a kid, none of my friends were allowed to go to my house or go to my estate because they were convinced that there was crime going on, right? And it's like, we, didn't even, <laughs> we didn't even have that great crack. Like, a few fireworks went off uh, for ha <laughs> Halloween, and that was the best of it. Like, all my friends were like, oh, I can't come down to your house. And I was like, I wish I had the fun of joyriding and stuff oh, like that. Well, I had all Do you know that what fun. I mean? Yeah, I was jumping over but streams. I give, I give you a laugh. The, the Irish Times recently came out to take a picture of me for um, an interview on the book, and you yeah. couldn't have timed it, right? I'm standing there in the camera, and they're taking a picture at Cushlan Field in a part of talent in Dublin for anyone that's outside so but then all of a sudden in the back of the shop walks a horse and a little lad on a scrambler and I just thought you just couldn't set that up like I was so <laughs> proud of them like I was like yes <laughs> just, um, about your book as well it's hilarious and it's inspiring and just like I don't want to like, compliment you like I think Too you're much. fucking amazing God Alison no, top crowd I wanted to be my friend do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want to be like, I don't want to 
get this off and they're like anyway an unequal you did <laughs> you already did when you said I'm rural working class I'm not <laughs> no because I feel that. I feel that like by me going I'm from a council state it's not the exact same story as you and I don't want to be like yeah we're sisters or anything, <laughs> you know what I mean because <laughs> yeah. Even like, because I grew up in a council state in, in a village, and like in Mullingar, <laughs> which is like the nearest town, they'd be like, "Oh, we'd beat the shit out of ye village council estate lads." <laughs> and I was like, "You probably would, yeah." <laughs> you know what I mean? But I have to ask you about the story involved in. Uh, there was a crazy house party you went to, <laughs> and you have to tell the audience because I think it's hilarious. Okay, well, it is mentioned in the How book. How did you book. find your power? I found my power. <laughs> After 19 Mitsubishi. <laughs> so for the people that are listening. For Perno and Blacks. I'm only messing. Um, no, so. One so of the a few ecstasy <laughs> tablets yes, were, imbibed. were imbibed. So when I sit down to write the book, there's so, working class humour is the best humour. It's just wicked. It's, you know, it's, it's really cool and I love it. And it's not always very PC, so it doesn't go down very well when I'm sitting in the chamber. <laughs> and I'm like, here, Joe, would you remember this? And they're going, no, I've never experienced that before in my life. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the house party was one of the areas I went back to in my head when I was writing for the book. And I thought, are you making this shit up, Lynn? Like, nobody's going to believe this. And I rang everyone, do you remember the party in the priest's house? Do you remember the party in the priest's house? Then I stuck it on Facebook and everybody was diving in. Oh, do you remember this? And I was like, okay, it's real. It happened, it happened. But we were in the snooker hall in their community and a young lad, he passed away recently, but, and that features a lot in the book, Be Warned, of young people passing away. But he had heard that there was security in the priest's house and they were letting a couple of the local lads come in and have a few cans. I have no idea where the priest was. He could have been tied up, for all I know. But Trev ran upstairs and... Announced over the intercom to hundreds of us teenagers drinking drugs everywhere. There's a party in the priest's house, party in the priest's house. Everyone ran from the snooker hall up through the estates. And then you were like, wait, you don't know this many of us is coming. So we all hid behind a wall, crouching down <laughs> like this, hundreds of us, right? And Trev knocked at the door. And then boom. So we took over the priest's house. Then there was the decks were brought in. And do you remember the Ormond nightclub? Last night, the Ormond was bouncing in the place, right? And then I'm dancing in front of the decks and legs just come through the ceiling. <laughs> and they just kept dancing. <laughs> so there was like a body in the bedroom, some legs in the sitting room, and the party just continued like that for a while. It was amazing, like. That sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was great wow. until the guards came. <laughs> It's all fun and games. We never had a, a party in the priest's house, but the priest did come to my nan's house and do the stations once. It's kind of similar. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the same? What, what's the, what are the stations? Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, great. Ala Tara, do you want to take this over? Well, I only half, I'm only half informed on this. I, I don't know where I was probably making potato salad. It's similar back. to like uh, <laughs> Mitsubishi's, do you know? You it's take like 12 that. of them. <laughs> the priest comes to your house and does the stations of the cross, you know, like... Is that when you're dying? No, you wish you were. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he just comes unannounced. No, there may, be, there may be some... No, he doesn't come unannounced. There, you paint the house. There's bread baking for days. <laughs> well, you and then everyone, everyone in the village comes and, and has the stations of the cross at your house, or in this case, my nan's house. No, no, no offence to any stations fans. Honestly. 
I know there are plenty of you out there. No offence to you, but the Stations of the Cross. Yes, and uh, you felt very holy for about a day after. Then you still had to go to confession. So it was was pointless. And at confession, you say, I fell through the priest's house and kept dancing, (laughs) even though my legs were downstairs and my body was upstairs, and then the guards came. Yeah, I think that's like an indulgence. Say three Hail Marys and never come into my house again. The problem with me is I have no clue what the Stations of the Cross is. That's what happened, doesn't it? That's, no, that's how that's I ended up at parties. That's party. why you're so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather take 19 Mitsubishis and dance at the priest's house than the stations across. No, you know what hey I mean? Hey, man. Hey, man. You know? We weren't there. Just briefly, just briefly, I don't know what Mitsubishis are either. <laughs> so, it's, it's weird. I've always thought about this, right? About the whole... So, ecstasy tablets, right? Um... They're a bit of crack occasionally, right? No, crack is a whole other thing. Yeah, that's true. That's much more breaking bad. So I've always been interested in the marketing of ecstasy tablets because if you see I them, didn't do the ads for those now. Did you not? <laughs> the Duracell bunny just... Mm. <laughs> Touch me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yes, yeah, so the ecstasy bunny would be like... Mm, I love my parents and I love you. Just, <laughs> just talking shit all the time. Your ears are so soft. So soft. We're just people. Hold my hand. We're just. <laughs> we're just people. Oh God. <laughs> Do you know who are great now? MGMT. They were a great band. Oh. <laughs> so Mitsubishi's. So. Ecstasy tablets, they have like colours and different imprints and stuff and they're marketed differently. So sometimes you get blue ghosties which are blue and they're like... uh... What do they do to you? Oh, a lot now. Uh... (laughs) But they're called Mitsubishis. So Mitsubishis are ecstasy tablets and they're what shape were the Mitsubishis They were circle with the Mitsubishi sign like a car and then there was a speckled... Do Mitsubishi know about this? Because I feel they would be annoyed. Yeah, That's how they made the Mitsubishi car came from the Venus. That makes more sense. Someone took one and was like, I want to make the best car ever. (laughs) See, that would make Mitsubishi happy now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I think they should be called Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce. Oh, we have to. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, listen. And green pyramids. If anybody wants green. to leave any of these on the stage, <laughs> so Tara, <laughs> what's next for you? Because you've repealed the eighth, and I know you're going to be. Involved well, I in didn't repeal the eighth. They repealed the eighth. That's yeah, we all did it together, which is amazing. You, d- you did it together, and I know you're going to be working on repeal the north. Well, we're all going to put pressure on. We're going to get the buses and trains like they got the buses and trains down here. We've got to do that. We've got okay. to reciprocate. But we need Britain's help. Come on now. We've got yeah. The, yeah the... No, I offered to help for, but it wasn't welcome in all parts of the audience. Some were like, "Fuck oh. off, back to London." Understandably. Oh no, no. Come to Belfast. I just heard yes. that. Well, I have. One invitation. So what's next for me is I'm kind of rebuilding after the campaign was so grueling, especially when you put your life out there, when you yeah. told, told you your story. You came in for a lot of... There was a lot of, there was a lot of shit. There was yeah. a lot of shit. But, Have you, you know, recovered from that yet? Not quite. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But uh, I, I do want to thank uh, people like Roisin Ingle, who uh, told her story at the same time. And she's incredible. And I know that anyone who stepped up and used their platform to, you know, that they risked their platform doing it mm. because we were often told we were too shrill and too much and we had to go away. But well, we didn't go away and then everyone was there and it was great. It sounds like, sounds like the house party again. So what's next for me is just getting back to normal and I've started doing the podcast like you so kindly said at the beginning. So Taranoia, exploiting my own 
fears and inadequacies. I have my own special brand of paranoia, Taranoia. So it's about that. And I'm going to have some great guests on over the times. And, and then we'll see. But for now, I'll be doing it, whatever I do, without a constitutional clause that says I'm different from anybody else in the country. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. And you'll be signing your book in the foyer? I'll be signing my book, Raging, in the foyer, yes. It's great. a brilliant book. It's a brilliant book. Pick up a copy of that and ask Tara to sign it and subscribe to her podcast, Taranoia. Thank you. Please do. It'd be so great. Um, I'd love that. Thank you very much. And Lynn, what can we do to help you going forward? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, Lynn. Lynn, the audience are encouraging you to run for president. Well, for now, we'll keep the poet, yeah, and get rid of the dragons. <laughs> Until I'm old enough. Because <laughs> we lost that referendum where I could have run for the presidency. Uh, <laughs> I would have to join Fina Gale, and I don't know whether you to thank me for that one. <laughs> well, right now, I suppose at the minute, what I'm working on is the legislation will be coming through the Shannon. I've been going through the heads of the bill for that. There's lots of niche areas that I've picked out there. There'll be ones that we'll all campaign on, but there's also other concerns that I've been kind of working on in the legislation that would be not as obvious. So that's what's happening. I've also just began drafting legislation on spent convictions so that people have a better chance when they come out of prison so that they can have, um, you know, enter education, employment. So that will be tabled in February. And then I'm working on all the other things that I always work on in relation to, I'm about to kick off three maths grind schools, which will be given free to kids in poor areas in the north side, south side and central. And obviously the book is out, but yeah, I think, I mean, the role of my book is kind of the role I see within my presidency. And it's one of, um, oh, presidency. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yes. Give the people what they want, Lynn. Give the my, people what they want. My political life. But <laughs> we have no time for chance. We really don't. So just to say, when I wrote the book, I had two things in mind. One was that people that didn't live or experience things that I have or people around me have would think and maybe, you know, have a different view on things and maybe understand that the equality of our conditions can really shape outcomes in life and that where we're born is complete luck. So the second thing was that people that do have experiences like mine, that I would be able to help them find their power and their voice and that they could look and go, do you know what, it's not supposed to be like this. And I kind of want to take that message constantly within my politics in terms of bringing everyone on that educational process so that we can work more together than conquer and divide each other. So that was, that's really what I'm doing. You're a queen. Um, whenever Lynn speaks, I always think, I must do more tomorrow. I have to do more. I'm not doing enough. But I think something that resonates for all of us on this panel, and hopefully everyone here, post-repeal, post-marriage equality even, even the take back the streets, we're going to you know, focus on housing, the housing crisis. You know, you don't always feel powerful. Taking your power doesn't make you feel powerful. You can feel quite powerless, but it's still important to use your voice. And so even when you feel scared or powerless, use your voice anyway, because if we all do it together, and this sounds corny as fuck, but if we saw it working, lads, we can do it together. Yes. So. Oh. Um, your book's also available in the foyer. What's it called? People Like Me. People Like Me. Yeah. And you'll be signing it in the foyer? I will. Great. Yes. And Alison Spittle, what have you got to plug? I, uh, she wrote a book on the interval. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fluffy yeah. book. It's a fluffy, yeah. 
Alison will be selling her notebook of jokes. Uh, <laughs> and watching Black 47 with food. What a great one. Uh, <laughs> Wait a second. Stations, it's, your teeth. Stations. Stations of the Cross. There's just one word on this page. Trolled. Yeah. Uh, listen, most of it's blank, but it will inspire you to fill it in. Yes. <laughs> she will sell this book for <laughs> 50 euros. Yes. So what I have to plug is I'm doing a tour and it's called uh, Alison Spittle is making a show of herself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to be doing Vicker Street. Uh, Woo! Yeah. On my own! Um, oh. So that's Don't March. say I'm doing Vicker Street on my own with such glee, like you want us to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> on my own without these losers holding me back. <laughs> yeah, little run, you loser. <laughs> I want to be free. <laughs> I want to be the only working class person on the stage. Yeah. Exactly. I felt special before, but you've done so much more than me. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling in the river. Um, yeah, so I've got a link. It's up for sale now. I'm going to put it on Instagram and Twitter while they're doing their books. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, keep an eye on me social media and buy tickets because... Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I'm scared. They, they will all buy tickets for your tour. And are you touring around Ireland? Oh, yes. Yes. So Limerick is on sale already. Limerick, and, you don't yeah. have to schlep. Limerick, she's Dundalk. coming to you. Dundalk, yeah. I've also got a Mullingar date. Oh! Are you going to kill Kenny? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> Are you going to kill Kenny? I'll be doing the festival anyway. If I haven't fallen out of vogue by then. Uh, I know, they're very good. I'll be... Michael, <laughs> Michael Kilkenny, will you get a gang together to go and see Alison and Kilkenny? Brilliant. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. So you've got... I mean, don't introduce her to your mum, though. She's competitive. <laughs> um, great. Okay, so we will see Alison on tour. Uh, you can buy books in the foyer. If you would like to buy a book if either tonight or another time, that would be lovely because it helps support the podcast because we don't sell advertising. If you'd like to buy one of Steve Alley's necklaces, there's a Guilty Feminist collection. I don't know if any of you have seen them. There's some that say Guilty Feminist like this one and some that say Woman in Arabic. Is that noise for Steve Alley? What did you... Did someone shout Tom? Toast? Toast? Oh, Toast the Cat. Oh, is Toast oh. the Cat getting some love? Do you know, Toast the Cat has two, a sister and a brother now. We got her little kittens, Audrey and Seymour. She is not oh. impressed at all. She's like, who the fuck are these kids? And she keeps stalking out of the room, but she'll get used to them. I thought she was like, I'm smelling toast, as if like, that woman's having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> we need to help No. Stephen Toaster, a good double act, it's true. Okay. We have to go. We have to go. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Alison Spittle, and our very special guests, Sarah Cahill, Tara Flynn, and Lynn Ruan. The recording engineer was James Feeney. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zalitsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Brent Berry at Aiken Promotions and everyone at Vicar Street, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. an amazing ride. Tree Michael. Amazing ride. Uh, oh, I'm a 
went sort of like roller coaster ride. All oh, right. Because I forgot what that means here. Yeah. I was like, you're a very, very good matchmaker if they've got that far. I mean, <laughs> fair play. Laura from Philadelphia, do you know what a ride means in Ireland? You will know. Uh... <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I'm embarrassed that my wellies are from Jules. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is. Yeah. My mum bought my wellies. I'm 35 and my mum buys my wellies. I mean, it's something your mum should buy you. It's a sort of, it's a mum present wellies. I think I should be getting my own wellies. I think I should be getting more practical wellies than this. Caroline, we're, we're here in, um, I should do an intro, actually. So, Jessica Foster Q and I, Deborah Francis White, hello. Hello. We are here in Dunkirk. And we've come to work with the Women and Children's Centre today, which is supported by Help Refugees. And here is Caroline. Hello, Caroline. Hi, Deb. Hi, Hi Jess. Hello. We should say, when we say we're here, we're quite specifically in a we're boiler, in a boiler room. room. We're sat on the floor of a boiler room. <laughs> we're actually back in Calais now. We, we went to Dunkirk this morning. Yeah. Or this afternoon. And we're now back in Calais because we're doing a show for the volunteers, mm. which is very exciting. And uh, the show is in a bar called Good Time. That's what we're going to have. <laughs> I mean, certainly, if this boiler room is anything to go by. Over it. The good time began about a minute ago. It's basically three women and a dog in a boiler room. There's a sweet little dog. Uh, his name means raisin in Kurdish. What is it in Kurdish? Kishmish. Kishmish. Kishmish, the little dog. And he's he's a absolute poppet. He's just looked up as if to he say... He did. Until he what? started licking the mm. puddle oh, in the corner. Oh, puddle. Yeah. Kishmish, you are just Kishmish. adorable. So, Caroline, firstly, do you have an I'm a feminist part? Um, I'm a feminist, but I think when people come to the Women's Centre, they expect something glamorous or, like, something nice and, you know, a team of women and stuff. And today, someone slashed a lot of coleslaw on my jacket. <gasps> And I just felt like we weren't very glamorous on the channel, but it just got worse. You just saw someone gestured, someone gestured while holding coleslaw. Yeah. Always a danger. And podcast listeners, that's the first thing you've learned. Never gesture while holding coleslaw. No, right? no. no, especially not with someone next to you in a clean jacket. It's true. You, When we think of Calais and all the operations that help refugees support and the other operations that are out here working with refugees, the Women and Children's Centre might seem like one where you have more resources and there's a sort of nurturing aspect to it, Mm. um, which possibly comes with more facilities. Is that true? Sort of. But, I mean, you've seen our car. One of the mirrors hold with tape and the other, one of the doors is broken. Big sign on it saying, please don't try and open this door. There's a sign that says, please don't open this door unless it won't lock and then open it and slam it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a tricksy car. But recently your warehouse in Dunkirk burnt down, didn't it? Yes, yeah. So the main place where we're keeping all the clothes um, and hygiene products for women and children was in Dunkirk. The whole place was burned down and all of the donations were have been gone now with a fire. So we did an uh, emergency appeal following that and we have received an incredible amount of support, yeah. of love, of kind words, of donations, of people coming out to volunteer to help us. We've done a really big fundraiser. It's been absolutely fantastic. That's yeah. wonderful news. Mm. Wonderful news. And thank you to all the Guilty Feminist listeners that sent donations in or have come out to help or donated tents and, and that kind of thing. It really, really has helped. Jess, you, it's the first time you volunteered today. Yeah. Um, how did you find it? 
<laughs> I don't know. If it's kind of eye-opening doesn't cover it, and then, like, life-changing sounds too dramatic. So somewhere in the middle of that, you know... I think um, I've been stealing myself for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm a massive fan of crying, and I know that that wouldn't be helpful, but all I can say is I've got at least one absolute doozy of a cry in the tank, ready for when I am allowed. <laughs> um, and other than that, just bowled over at the um, how incredible you guys are who are working out here, mm-hmm. the languages that people speak, how kind, how kind and happy people who are here seem, how many people there are here waiting for whatever's next for them. And I suppose I just hadn't computed how much you'd be responding to massive emergency changes every single day. Mm. So you don't like, like you were saying that there's kids, you just an eight-year-old just being carried around and you're like, oh, so we need to do a wheelchair appeal. Mm. Like, I mean, yeah. that's, that's bobbling. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the, and the, actually, a and disabled child yeah. who's not no government is stepping up and saying, "Well, this child's disabled, and their parents are dealing with that." Yeah. So we will cover you with a visa, mm. sure, and put you to the head of the queue. It's just like deal with the fact that you have a sure. disabled child and no yeah. wheelchair, yeah, and you're camping, and also we the government will come along and confiscate your tent to make it a more inhospitable environment mm. if yeah. that's possible. Mm-mm-mm. Let's take the sleeping bag away from your disabled child, much mm. less facilitate them with the chair so you raised money for the wheelchair yeah we've created a network of support in order to find wheelchairs because we found that that wasn't actually an isolated case right we're finding that at all times there is always at least one child who needs a wheelchair in the camp um and that's always one short now it's getting yeah. a bit better yeah. with the network of support, but still, it, it takes a bit of yeah. time for us to find a wheelchair for the wheelchair to get yeah. to us. And that's specific to children wheelchairs because we sometimes were donated adult ones right. that aren't really suitable. Mm. Yeah. If people do have wheelchairs, are they useful to donate? Yes. Wheelchairs, push chairs, um, crutches, mm. this kind of medical equipment that can be reused. There was a Kurdish lady today who said to me, could you please get me a pushchair for my child? And she was carrying around quite a big mm. baby that yeah. was, you know, too heavy on your back to be sure. carried but wasn't able to walk. Absolutely. And she said, if there's any way you can get me a pushchair. And I was yeah. like, I must know so many people in mm. London who yeah, have yeah. a pushchair their child's grown out of or it's just sitting in the whole cupboard. There are collection points around the UK that where you can donate things like that. Pushchairs, tents, they really need tents. Tents, for sure. Tents, blankets. Yes, there was, sleeping bags. It's so cold at the moment. The CRS, the French military police, are confiscating tents more regularly than usual, yes. In Dunkirk, they don't really confiscate them, they slash them. <sighs> so we find tents with, like, big slashes across them. It's so demoralising because they're just coming and vandalising the property and making it unusable mm. because it's raining. Yeah. And but, how yeah. dispiriting and demoralising to have to come back. All your family has Sure. Yeah. is a tent and then the the government have come and slashed it. Sure, it's just sure. so cruel. And it's northern France, it rains all the time. Mm. Um, yeah. A slashed tent is absolutely no use. And people always yeah. ask why when we say that. And it is to make an inhospitable environment so the refugees move somewhere else, isn't it? It's just yes. simply I mean, as simple yeah. as that. Just don't be here. Yeah, and don't set up a camp or a formal society like was in the jungle. The last thing that the state wants to see is a mini village again. Mm. Yeah. So they'll right. do anything to vandalise that material. But of course, if you come back from getting some food 
and find that the only little bit of plastic that your mm. family and your mm. children were living under yeah. Yeah. has been vandalised by the state, that just, I don't know what that could do to your spirit, but mm. I just can't. Sure. There was a really sweet little girl today called Hanny who just, um, that's not her full name, so it's I think it's okay to say it's a nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was... 12 she could speak all languages she was translating oh my god she was and I just thought she was so smart she was so Mm -hmm. switched on and she was talking to me about the UK and she has an uncle and aunt living there and she was asking me about it and she was so ahead of it it was like talking to someone who was 17 Mm -hmm. and I just thought this is the person you want in your country. She's smart. She's switched yeah. on. She was, she was negotiating at the van for bl- enough blankets for her family. And she yeah. said that her aunt was pregnant. Her aunt's six months pregnant. And later I saw her and she said, "Can you have you seen my mum, who I had already met? She said, because my aunt's being taken to a hotel for three days by some doctors because she's pregnant and it's important that she has three days. The doctors have assessed that she needs three days in a hotel. Mm. I mean, you're pregnant and... Someone comes and slashes your tent. You know, I just can't. But this is being held together by an assembly of charities, and it's all just emergency stuff. Like, it feels like there's this two. I don't know. I feel quite overwhelmed by how there's everything to do on the ground. There's all these people that need all this help who are just keeping people alive. You're keeping people alive. Mm. That's what you're doing, Mm -hmm. and it's amazing. But also. How do you campaign for this not to be like this full mm. stop, like a longer term solution? Like, I feel quite overwhelmed by the enormity of that question. Mm. Obviously, it's who you vote for is what change mm. you're going to make. And also this. what pressure you put on the government, government. that you have yeah. to say you will lose votes yeah. if you do not. If you listen to this anywhere in Europe. Yeah, mm. if you, you, we have to put pressure on our governments to say this is a humanitarian crisis. You do not come this far with your children, with your babies, without a pushchair, with a disabled yeah. child, would you would you get on a boat with a disabled child unless you absolutely yeah. had to? Mm. Of course not. None of us would get in an overcrowded dinghy with a disabled child or as a pregnant woman. Or I thought twice with... about getting in a boiler room with Deborah Dog and a friend I've just met. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, yeah. And it's true, you just wouldn't do it. There's no conceivable way you would do it. So there, there is a need. And, you know, when you're talking... To Honey, and she's saying, there's seven in our family and we need seven blankets. You know, you're just like, you just want to take the coat off your back and give it to them because she's just a sweet little girl, you know, mm-hmm. and she's so bright. She's definitely going to end up either as a neurosurgeon or running, a, you know, an enormous, brilliant digital company of some sort yeah. that she starts herself. And I was just like, oh, if I could do anything to get you a visa yeah. into a country that would help educate you you will educate mm. yourself she would educate yeah. herself herself that child you gave her a computer or a yeah. bunch of yeah. books yeah. and she would get herself to university Absolutely. and you just think oh, it's so and she was happy as well like she yeah. was like you know she yeah. had nothing she knew she was going to be cold tonight yeah she but she was she had a, a happy spirit about mm-hmm. her how do you because jess and i are obviously pathetic and close <laughs> to tears <laughs> And I'm trying to hold it together. Oh, yeah. They I'm don't need the my great big privileged tears of yeah. me being with. They don't need her. So I really, I'm, a, you know, always proud of myself. I hold myself together, but almost <laughs> crying in this boiler room trying to hold it together for the podcast. Caroline, how do you deal with the fact that every day you are seeing and interacting with people who are in desperate need, and you are doing absolutely everything you can, but sometimes it's not enough, and well, all the time it's not enough because you don't have more 
funds and resources mm. and power and influence. How do you deal with it emotionally? We have lots of cats and a dog, which uh-huh. help. But it's true that every day it feels like it's not enough and we know that it's not enough. And to be fair, people tell us to our face that it's mm, not enough yeah. because, you know, they tell us, yeah, you're giving me a T-shirt, but I need a tent or I have a tent, yeah. but it's full of water. Or I need a home. I yeah, I need a home. I need a passport. I need to be elsewhere. Mm. And I think sometimes it's okay. And if anything, it's more honest for us to just say or just be sad or just say, mm. you know what, that's I can't do anymore but I'm doing everything that I can mm-hmm. uh, and for people to feel that sincerity and to, I, I think people deserve honesty mm-hmm. um, and to not promise things that we can't do, mm-hmm. um, but to just have people understand like, this is the resources we have. This is what we can do. This is what we're doing. And at that point, that's really all that we can do. And I think the women and the kids that we've been working with are generally very, like they receive that really well. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, on volunteers, it is emotionally difficult for sure. Mm. There is working in team is really helpful. Um, mm. Listening to each other. We have group therapy once a week. We also try to relax, take some days off, yeah. go away a bit. But I mean, even when you go away, it kind of follows you. Mm. There is joy too. Um, Absolutely, like yeah. playing with the children today was so much fun. Little children running up mm. and like wanting to, you know, even though some of them didn't speak English, they would like find ways to tell you in mm. their own language and through sign language, oh, we're going to have a running race now. So you have to yeah. race me like a little girl just did. Yeah. She basically was counting in Kurdish. And I, didn't, yeah. I, I knew what counting sounded like. And she was basically going, you know, five, four, three, two, one, and to signal to me <laughs> race. And so we raced and then we were playing games. And Did you win or...? Um, you know what? <laughs> I I'm, I'm older. I'm stronger. My legs are longer. Yeah, she absolutely. thrashed her. She thrashed her. I mean, I was very much the gold medalist. I was not. I was, <laughs> to be honest, I wasn't because her cardiovascular fitness was surprising uh, for a six-year-old. But the joy on the children's faces and the grown-ups' faces when you just say hello. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one thing that always surprises me is sometimes there might be three or four men sitting around, and because they're in crappy circumstances, they're not smiling and mm-hmm. they look sad, and that can you can think, oh, I don't want to talk to them. Maybe, you know, it, they might look intimidating or something. Yeah. And that's my honest response. Yeah. Every single time I've just kind of smiled. Yeah. They just give you the biggest smile back. Yeah. And they're like, oh, what's your name? Like, you know, and yeah. then they start yeah. talking to you. If you just say hi, I've never had, I mean, refugees are not a monolithic group, so I'm not, you know, but I've always been greeted with a smile back. So Caroline, what, can we do for you there's the umbrella organization of help refugees which just supports a lot of these smaller outfits so if you want to volunteer at the refugee community kitchen known as rck um, you can come and do half a day a day a weekend and if you're able to come for two or three days you can go out on distribution and meet some refugees um, same with you know infobus cali warehouse there are all sorts of ways in which you can volunteer mm-hmm. if people want to volunteer for the women and children's center they need to be able to come out longer term usually don't yeah. they yeah yeah the longer the month. better uh, we find that it takes about a week or two for volunteers to get accustomed to start understanding the way it works and so mm-hmm. on so at least a month minimum if you speak english that's great if you speak french that's even better uh, if you speak any kurdish or arabic please sign up but even without that, uh, yeah, being able to stay for at least a month, uh, being patient, enjoying 
people's company being curious, mm-hmm. all of the above. Yeah. That'd be absolutely helpful. And if people can stay, if you have got a month off that you can do this, sign up to the Women and Children's Centre if you're interested. I'm. Sh- it's so fulfilling. It is, it is emotional, but I think most of the time it is joyful, deeply satisfying, and you know that you're really doing something. And I think, yeah. I think a month probably is life changing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, oh, and without you know, that. and it gives you enormous perspective, and you really are doing something. I think in life often is really difficult to think. Oh, what am I really doing? You know, am I really achieving anything? Am I being productive? If you come out here for a month and work at the Women's Children's Centre, you are being productive. You are yeah. making a change in You're the world. Really you are saving lives, and you are saving people's mental health by being that warm face, mm. by saying, I care. Mm. Even if there are no blankets left in the van, you're there trying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that you were saying with the man looking unhappy. What we hear really often in the camp are people saying, nobody cares about mm. us, mm. nobody's mm. writing about us, nobody's talking about us, we live here, but nobody's coming to see us. Yeah. And I think being that person who comes and who say, I care, I'm here for you, yeah. that really makes a big difference. Yeah. Such a huge difference. So... If you have um, money but no time, you can go to helprefugees.org and see what they need and just buy a bunch of tents, buy some sleeping bags. If you have time but no money, could you put out onto your network, hey, they need sleeping bags, they need blankets, Mm -hmm. they need tents, and see if anyone in your network has anything lying about, push chairs, wheelchairs, Mm -hmm. coats, anything warm, children's shoes, men's shoes, a size seven and eight, always they say. Yeah. Anything like that. And then you could take them to a collection point, even if you have nothing at all, but you could collect from other people and organise something and you could take it to a collection point and you can find those on helprefugees.org. Or you could find a car share and come out if you've got very little cash, but you've got a time, you could jump in someone else's car and come out and volunteer, even if it was only for just a few days. But if you have longer time, the Women and Children's Centre would absolutely love to have you. And they're all so nice. Caroline, how many full-time staff have you got at the moment for Women and Children's Centre? There is five of us. Right. How many would you like to have? Ideally, the team is full when there's eight of us. Eight. So if if there's any three people from the Guilty Feminist listeners who thinks, yeah, I could do that. I could do a month Mm. or two months or three months. And this is the sort of thing I'm looking for. Or I'm coming up to a gap year or I'm... My kids have just left home, between jobs, sabbatical, anything like that. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. And look, you're an hour from St Pancras Station. Mm. You can go home. You you don't have to stay the whole time. You can come and go. You can, you know, you're so close. Yeah. I I hope she won't mind me sharing, but there's a volunteer who came last year um, who was in a bit of a life indecision. She didn't really know Mm. what she was doing. She was a video editor for Sony. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a very successful career, family with a young kid and so on, but she just wasn't sure that she was doing what she really wanted to do. Um, she came out to volunteer for the Women's Centre for a couple of weeks and she came home and she decided that's not what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so she quit her job at Sony. She's now a video editor for Save the Children mm-hmm. and she's just completely mm-hmm. changed the kind of approach to life and she's just decided this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I found that so moving that yeah. just come a couple of weeks change her complete outlook on her life and on the way she wanted to live her life Krishmish um, has done this sign out for our podcast uh, this is The Guilty Feminist I can do all the rest later thank you so much Caroline for everything you do here and for yeah, making the podcast thank you. and thank you so much Jess for bravely coming out and making this podcast thank you Jess and Deb for coming out today okay bye 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 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com